Hey, it's Cody Woodard, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this message encourages you and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. How many of you came to church expected today? Amen. I want to welcome everybody watching online. Isaiah 43, 18 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. How many of you believe that? How many believe that? Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Last couple of weeks, we've been in this series and took a look at this verse. And the first week we talked about forgetting the past. Last week, we took a look at embracing the present. Today, I want to read from Romans chapter five. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Romans chapter five. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Are you ready for the word of God today? Come on, somebody shout, I'm ready if you're ready. Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love for us has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I love verse six. You see, at just the right time, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Turn to your neighbor and say, that was you. Come on, turn to the neighbor and say, that was me. He died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly die. But God, somebody say, but God. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How many of you thankful for that truth today? Come on, clap your hands. If you will, will you pray with me? And if you'll, uh, if you will, if you, will you open your hands if you're expecting and open and available to receive what God has for you today. Just take a posture of openness before the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for what you've done, what you're doing, what you will do. Father, I ask that in this moment you would show up, that we wouldn't be here just to go through the motions, didn't just come to play church and check it off of our list. But Father, we came to worship you. Whether we're wounded, whether we're hurting, no matter what life has brought us to to this moment, you're above it. Your goodness reigns. Your sovereignty is still a beautiful truth we build our life around, that you are in control. And when you are in control, you can do anything. So Father, we worship you today. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody set. Come on, everybody set. Hey, say hi to somebody next to you. Tell them this. Say neighbor. Come on, say neighbor. Say, I've been hoping to sit next to you. Come on, turn to the neighbor. Say, I've been hoping all week to sit next to you. You can have a seat. Today, I want to talk around this idea, the hope of the future, the hope of the future. Can we just welcome our first time guests one more time in the house today? Thank you to those watching online. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Cody. I get to serve as pastor here, and it's just an honor, and God's been moving in an incredible way. Can't wait for baptism Sunday next week. Some of you are going to be here, and uh, you're going to invite people with you. Some of you are going to be taking that next step. And here's what I want to encourage you with today specifically and for next week. I want you to be open to what God wants to say to you. And I know we may say that kind of a lot. And of course, as a pastor, I'm saying to be open, but I believe God is going to bring about some hope in you that you may have not had when you walked in today, if you will be expectant and ready to receive what he has. 
And so we're in week three of Blockbusters. And in the first week, we took a look at an incredible movie called Rocky III. Last week, we took a look at Forrest Gump. And today, we're taking a look at the Shawshank Redemption. How many of you have seen the Shawshank Redemption before? Okay, that's most of you. Some of you haven't. Listen, y'all, it is the number one movie of all time above The Godfather, okay? Like, if you haven't seen The Shawshank Redemption, you need to. You've had a long time to see it, so I'm probably gonna spoil the story for you today. But it's a powerful movie, and we're doing this because we actually get to, to look into movies and see what God wants to teach us through them. And it's this incredible movie, and it's so compelling for us to watch it. And the reason why, I think, can be found really in the the subtitle almost of the Shawshank Redemption, here it is, that fear can keep us prisoner and hope can set you free. That fear can keep you prisoner, hello. (laughs) Should I get scared for a second? And hope can set you free. And so the question is, what are the fears that are keeping you prisoner? What's the thing that's keeping you stuck where you are from believing God has a hope for your future. For, for many of us, it is the, the unknown of the future. For some of us, it's the fear of being rejected again. The fear of when you reach out to somebody and you try to make amends and you try to be reconciled that they will reject you. The fear of being hurt. For some of you, you're in church today for the first time in a long time, and it could have been because you got hurt back then or someone betrayed you, or maybe you just have never really seen your need for God and somebody invited you and made some promises to feed you lunch, and that might be why you're here, and that's awesome. But, we, but we're in this place today because God actually wants to speak to you. And oftentimes what happens is fear robs us of hearing the voice of God because fear has a way of keeping us prisoner, but hope has a way of setting us free, has a way of opening our eyes to some things. And, and for, for a lot of us, fear is the thing that is controlling, it's controlling our lives. Fear is the thing that is keeping you where you are. And I don't know what that fear looks like for you today, but today as we kind of unpack the scriptures and as we take a look, I just, I want you to to, to believe God for something better. And the reason why I think this is possible is because all of us are naturally hopeful people. God created you and I to actually have hope, right? Like we hope for things. We hope for a family one day. We hope for kids one day. Some of you can't wait for your kids to leave home one day. Come on, somebody. Some of you are hoping that your boss ends up stepping down so you ain't got to work for him no more. Or that annoying coworker that's always trying to tell you how to do your job, you hope they will leave. You're hoping we'll get out on time. Some of you are hoping the Tennessee Vols don't suck again for the 16th season. So naturally, like we hope for things, right? We're hopeful people. God designed you that way. The reason death stings so much is because we weren't designed to die, but sin brings death. And God, the good news is, is that we have an opportunity to have hope. We have an opportunity to believe God for something greater. And so the question then becomes, what is your hope in? What are you hoping for? I think first we got to define like, what is hope? Hope is the confident, write this down. Hope is the confident expectation that God will be who God said he will be and he will do what he said he will do. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so our hope as as Christians, our hope is not in Santa Claus. It ain't in the daggum Easter bunny. Our hope is not in just wishful thinking. It's, it's, It's more than that. 
Our hope is rooted in a person, and his name is Jesus. Hope has a name. And, and, and we, don't, we don't have to fear the future because we can place our faith and find our hope in the one that overcame the world. And so we have this, this hope that we get to be a part of, and we have a hope for the future, not because we just hope it'll happen one day and maybe everything will be good. No, we have a hope, and his name is Jesus. We have a hope that, that one day God will do what he said he'll do, and he'll be who he said he'll be, and one day he will wipe away every tear from your eye, and there will be no more pain, and you will get to experience peace for all of eternity. So, so you and I, we, we, have this, we have this hope in Jesus, and the way we have hope is the way you gain hope, the way you, the way you in this moment can have hope is it starts by looking back. Everybody say, look back. Come on, look back, everybody. Take a look back. All right, take a look back. There we go. I'm not saying to dwell in the past. We talked a lot about that. We, we talked about forgetting the former things. So we look back. We don't dwell there. We glance there because in the, in the past, we can see the faithfulness of God then. And the way we get hope is we see what God did then, and now we get to obey him in the present, believing him for the future, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to the day of completion through Christ Jesus. Amen? He, he, Jesus is still doing miracles. He did miracles back then. He's still doing miracles right now. He raised dead bodies back then. He'll raise dead bodies right now. He calmed the sea back then. He'll calm your anxiety right now. Come on, am I talking to anybody? He, he, he provided back then. He will provide back now. So my hope isn't just in hope alone. My hope is in a person named Jesus who was crucified under a man named Pilate, but three days later resurrected from the grave, stole the keys of hell, declaring that he is victorious and now sits down at the right hand of God. Amen. That is who our hope is in. Our hope is in a person named Jesus, and he's still alive, and he's still working, and he is still making a way for people like you and I to have hope for the future. I love this movie, Shawshank Redemption, because it's, it's a movie of hope. It's more than a movie about a prison break. So interesting to me that the number one movie of all time was take, took place in a prison. But the plot line of this movie, if you haven't seen it, here it is. See if this sounds familiar. This movie is about an innocent man who enters a guilty world and offers hope. And he escapes and provides the means by his friend to be with him in paradise. Doesn't that sound familiar? Andy Dufresne gets convicted of murdering his, falsely convicted, by the way, of murdering his wife and her lover. Sentenced to two life sentences. I don't even know how that's possible. Two life sentences. You don't, what does that mean? You know, the two life sentences means he's never getting out. And yet when he goes in to the prison, somehow, some way refuses to allow the system to change him, but rather he goes into a dark place and changes the system. I love what Red, played by Morgan Freeman, has to say about Andy. He says this, I can see why some of the boys took him for snobby. He had a quiet way about him, a walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. He strolled like a man in a park without a care or worry in the world, like he had an invisible coat that would shield him from this place. And when it looked like all hope was lost, despite everything he had done, despite the hope he infused into the system, it didn't get better for Andy. It got worse. 
And at that moment, when it seemed as if all hope was lost and the evil warden would win and would keep him down, he climbed, he digs a hole through the wall, climbs out through the sewage system to freedom on the other side. Do you hear the gospel? It's the gospel according to Shawshank Redemption. I, I wanna talk to you around these three thoughts. The first one is our problem. Say our problem. Come on, say our problem. I wanna talk to you about a person. Say a person. And I wanna talk to you about a promise. Say a promise. Here is our problem, every single person in this room. Our problem is that we have been institutionalized. Our problem is institutionalization. You may be wondering, what the heck is institutionalization? Well, when you watch this movie, you see this thread throughout the entire first act. There, there's, a, there's an incredible story about this man in there. His name, is, his name is Brooks. And he finally gets the opportunity to get out of prison after 50 years. 50 years in prison. That's longer than many of us have been alive. 50 years, he gets the opportunity to get released and finally have freedom again. And do you know what he does? He tries to kill someone else. And you may be thinking, why in the world would a man who has the opportunity to finally experience freedom try to shank somebody else in the neck before he gets out? Institutionalization. And Red does a great job about explaining why. Check this first clip out. Knock it off. Brooks ain't no bug. It's just, just institutionalized. The man's been in here 50 years, Hayward. 50 years. This is all he knows. In here, he's an important man. He's an educated man. Outside, he's nothing. Just a used-up con with arthritis in both hands. Probably couldn't get a library card if you tried. You know what I'm trying to say? Red, I do believe you're talking out of... You believe whatever you want, Floyd. But I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. He says, first you hate them, then you get used to them, and then you grow to depend on them. The reason that Brooks decided to try to take somebody else's life is because he couldn't imagine what life would be like on the outside and it was safer, it was safer in the prison. He saw no possibility of hope of ever seeing a different life. And I got to thinking, you know, that this wasn't just their condition, this is our condition. Galatians chapter three says, but the scriptures declare that we, say we, that we are all prisoners of sin. Why? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The problem is our sin. And for many of us, we, we think that we're free because we live in a free country. But here's what I've come to find out, that you can be free out here, but be in prison in here. And so many, so many of us are walking in and we look like we have our lives together, but you are imprisoned to shame. You are imprisoned to guilt. You are imprisoned to your past. You're imprisoned to addiction. You're imprisoned to your bitterness, to your unforgiveness, to the thing that happened to you years ago. You're, you're imprisoned by substance abuse. 
imprisoned by your private sin. And the truth is, is that we may look free on the outside, but apart from Christ, there is no hope for ever being free on the inside. And so our problem isn't just that we're bad and we need to be made good. The problem isn't that we just have a couple of issues and we need somebody to come in and kind of fix the issues. No, Ephesians 2, 1 says that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. Let me tell you why. Because sin isn't just an action. Sin is a condition. It's a condition where it confines us and keeps us into the walls of guilt, the walls of shame, the walls of anger. Some of you walked in today and you've been in prison for a long time and you have begun to lose hope that it could ever change, that it could ever be any different. It's just the way it is now. And what institutionalization, what it does is it gets you believing that living in that prison is safer than living in that freedom. Am I talking to anybody today? And so we all, we all know what this is like. So I, Paul says, Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead. Not you were bad. Not you just needed to be cleaned up. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. See, what do you do for someone who's dead? How do you help them? How do you help a dead person? You gonna talk to them? You gonna spray some perfume on them, make them smell good? You gonna dress them up so they look good on their funeral? You gonna shout at them? Maybe that'll fix it. The only way you can help someone as dead is raise them from the dead. The problem is, is that you and I are dead in our transgressions and sins. But verse four says, but God, somebody say, but God. But because of the great love he had for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, by grace, you have been saved. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the person of Jesus. We're talking about a person now. So there's a problem of sin, but thank God for the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. He didn't just come to make your life better. He didn't just come to fix you. He didn't just come so you could be a better person. No, he came into this world to make you alive. He doesn't just fix people, he resurrects people. He takes you and I who've been conditioned to just give in to our flesh, and that's what happens, is, is when we've been so in institutionalized, we think that if we can just find a way to find comfort, we can escape from the prison, but then whatever it is we're running to within the prison of our shame or of our guilt or of our past, it ends up hurting us even more. And, and, and what it'll do is it'll make you feel like you are too far gone from the grace of God, that there's no hope for you. You, you ever see people and, and you wonder, right, why they would do such evil things in this world? It's because it's our nature says we were enemies of the cross. That by nature, our flesh says that, that that is better than what the future God has to offer. And so what we do is we start to tell ourselves this and we start to lose hope. And this is why people, I met somebody at the gym this week, I was talking to him and I invited him to come to church because that's the pastor thing to do, but it's also the friendly thing to do. Bring your neighbor to church, touch your neighbor, say, bring, bring somebody next week. Come on, touch your other neighbor, say, bring somebody next week. And so I invited him and he gave me this response. 
He said, man, if I walked into church, God would strike me with lightning. You ever heard that before? And I said, no, he won't. He said, oh, he would too. I said, bro, there's been a lot of people tell me that, and I ain't never seen God strike nobody with lightning. In fact, the Bible says that Satan fell like lightning. Let me tell you why the reason he hates you so much is because when Satan was in heaven as the worship leader and he made it all about himself and he sinned and didn't worship God, but worshiped himself and wanted people to follow him, God kicked him out of heaven. The reason he hates you so much is because even though you fail, even though you've messed up, God still wants your praise. God still loves you. So he can't stand the fact that you can stand in freedom even though you've been guilty. But the reason we can stand in freedom and have hope is because hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Come on, that's the gospel right there. And so you don't have to live in fear. So then it says this in verse 22. It says, the scriptures declare we're all prisoners. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. You see Romans 5, 6, at just the right time while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can I just tell you, God is such a better savior than you are a sinner. He is so much better at forgiving than you are at failing. And so when we boast, we don't boast in ourselves. Romans 5.2 says that we boast in the hope of glory. We boast in the one who forgives us. Amen? Forgives us for our sin. He remembers our sin no more, Isaiah tells us. It doesn't, it doesn't just mean that Jesus in, in forgiving you means he swept it under the rug. Because some of us, that's what we call forgiveness. It's like, oh yeah, I forgave him. No, you didn't. You swept it under the rug. It's not that he just forgave us and put it on a shelf so the next time they do it, he can take it off and throw it in your face. For some of us, that's what forgiveness means. It's almost sweep it under the rug. Or I forgive you until you do it again. Am I talking to anybody? No, John 1 says that Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he takes your sin and he forgives you, meaning he removes it as far as the east is from the west for all of eternity. No matter how much you mess up, your past sins are forgiven, your present sins are forgiven, your future sins are forgiven because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So we boast in the hope of glory who forgives us and who is good to us. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's good to me. Come on, turn to the other neighbor and say, he's good to me. And this one's the hard for some of us to grasp. See, many of you believe that God forgave you, but you think that's all he did. Because you've grown up in this religious circle, and the idea that God blesses people has been so misconstrued by so many prosperity teachers, and it's made it all about wealth and possessions. When God blesses you, that word blessed comes from the origin word that means happy. Not like happiness in this world, but a joy that goes deeper than this world. You know that God wants to be good to you? How many of you have good things in your life? Come on, James 1 says that every good and perfect gift come down from God to you. Even when you're not good to God, God is good to you. Your badness does not outweigh his goodness. And so he gives good gifts to his children. Let me tell you why. Because he loves you. 
So we boast in the hope of glory who forgives us for our sin, who is good to us, not just been good to us, but it's good to me right now. And the promise of God, the glory of God is he's gonna be good to you in the future too. He's good to you. God likes you. That's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? Because you know the difference. You know you can love somebody but not like somebody. Some of you got some siblings and that's the case. So we boast in the fact that God actually loves us and likes us. That when God looks at you, he smiles. If we could just get that. Like, do you know what that would do for your spirit if you woke up instead of thinking that God looks down on you and has your grandmama's paddle ready to whip your tail the next time you mess up? If you just believed that God smiled at you, not because of your goodness, but because of his. So Romans 8, 1 tells us, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Somebody say no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life to set you free from the law of sin and death. So Jesus is the one who actually makes it possible for you and I to have hope. For you and I to know that this world is not all there is, that this moment is not the end, but that we can have hope in a person because he's forgiven us. He's loved us and he's been good to us. Can I get a good amen in the house? And so when you watch this movie, you see this struggle begin to happen with Red, Morgan Freeman. As Andy Dufresne comes into prison and just starts to, to just push this message of hope, he breaks into the headquarters, if you wanna call them that, and gets on the sound system and decides to play this like opera music. And I love it because of what Red says later on. He goes in to describe that moment. And he says, to this day, I have no idea (laughs) what those Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are left best unsaid. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heartache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and further than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was like something beautiful. A beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made these walls dissolve away. For the briefest moment, every last man in Shawshank felt free. That's Jesus. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us hope when we're hopeless, who doesn't expect us to just break out of the prison, but rather enters into the prison so that you can find hope in it. Gosh, I mean, is this, is, this good? is this a good message right here? I mean, I'm not talking about for me. Isn't the gospel good? But unfortunately for Red, like many of you, he gave up on hope because he's seen this time and time again. He's heard messages like this time and time again. So let's check this clip out right after that opera moment. You, you couldn't play something good, huh? Hank Williams or something? They broke the door down before I could take requests. Was it worth it? <laughs> Two weeks in the hall? Easiest time I ever did. There's no such thing as easy time in a hole. That's right, a week in a hole is like a year. I had Mr. Mozart to keep me company. <laughs> so they let you tote that record player down there, huh? He's in here. In, in here. That's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? Play the main harmonica as a younger man. Lost interest in it, though. Didn't make much sense in here. 
Here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget? Yeah, for, forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's a, there's something inside that they can't get to, that they, they can't touch. It's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. Like Brooks did? So we see this scene really one of the only times in the movie where Red gets really frustrated at the thought of hope because he says hope is a dangerous thing. It can make a man go insane believing that it's possible. And you see him, you get fr he gets frustrated. And the reason I think he gets frustrated is if you watch the movie, there's three different times, kind of in the beginning, the middle, and the end, where he goes before the warden and the judge and they ask him a question. They ask him like, have you been rehabilitated. And here's what he says over and over again after three different parole hearings. He says, oh yeah, absolutely. No threat to society here. I'm a changed man. God's honest truth. And if you watch it, it's like he says the exact same thing every time he's asked. Why should he get out? Oh, I'm a changed man. God's honest truth. It's memorized. Let me tell you why I think he started losing hope. The same reason why a lot of us lose hope. Because he was trusting in his own self-righteousness. He thought he had to prove himself good to get out. Can I just tell you, the only thing more dangerous than unrighteousness is self-righteousness. See, guilt, he was guilty. That's what got him in the prison, but self-righteousness is what kept him in the prison. And so for many of you, you're not walking in here. And when I talk about your fear, or I talk about the prison you're living in and I start going through all of these things and I talk about addiction or I talk about alcoholism or I talk about a secret sin. For some of you, that's not your story. And you're here and you're going, do I even have really a testimony? I mean, I grew up, I grew up in church. My parents brought me to church. I've heard about Jesus and my, my whole life. I went to VBS. I know the Sunday school songs, even the cheesy ones. Come on, somebody. Like I, and I never really did anything that bad. I mean, yeah, maybe I snuck out a time or two, but I don't really have that story. And here's why that's so dangerous is because eventually the struggle, the prison that many people live in is one of self-righteousness because they have everything. God's calling, better pick that up. <laughs> they have it all. Some of you, you have a nice life. So the hardest thing about preaching the gospel in Gallatin, Tennessee is because so many people, they have good lives. You have your family, been faithfully married. You have a good house, have a good job, make good money, have kids. And, and, it's, and the truth is, is it's like, well, what's wrong with your life? You're kind of like, nothing. 
But let me tell you what will keep you in a prison? Thinking that you don't need Jesus still. The whole book of Matthew is attributed to Jesus talking to people that didn't think that they needed him. And what happens, Jesus says, there's a day that will come, judgment day, Matthew chapter seven, where he says, we will stand face to face and he will ask you something along the lines of why should you get in? And he says, and many, not few, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? What are they saying? They're saying, did we not do a bunch of good? And he says, and I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Tell you why. Because your goodness can't pay for your sin. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Your righteousness is not enough to pay for all of the past, present, and future sins that you're gonna commit. It won't work. And so for some of us, we're enslaved to the prison of self-righteousness and religion, thinking that by coming to church, taking a few notes, tithing, going on a mission trip, and saying, I believe in God, that's gonna get you in heaven. Listen, friends, the devil believes in, in, in God. He says, the demons believe and shudder. There's a difference in acknowledging what I'm telling you today and letting it transform your life from the inside out. The gospel is not just for the prodigal son who ran away. The gospel is for the older brother who stayed at home. And guess what? That's all of us. You're one of the two. And you need the gospel just as much as I need the gospel. And so here's the awesome part that happens in this movie. I'm gonna transition here. In this movie, no matter what Andy had tried to do, instilling hope. It looks like everything is going to go bad. But then that most epic moment happens and he crawls through the gutter, coming out on the other side, lifts his hands, and it begins to rain as if all of that is washed away. But the movie doesn't end there because it was never about Andy. It was about something more. See, before Andy left prison, he made a way for his friend named Red. So when he got out, he could join him in paradise. Check this final clip out. Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Say what to nail. I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you, and finds you well. Your friend, Andy. 
I love that. He says, I, I'll be looking for you. I got a project that I want you to help me with. It was never just about Andy getting out of prison. It was about preparing and making a way for Red to join him in paradise to help him with the work that he had next on this earth. Can I just tell you that your God has not just went to the cross and died so that you can be forgiven, but he made a way where there was no way so that you can join him in the work that he's still doing around the world. And he's prepared a place for you. It's called heaven. That's the promise. That's what he wants for you. First Peter one says this. He says, praise be to God and father, our Lord Jesus Christ In his great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You have a promise from God that when you place your hope in him, that you join him for eternity in heaven, that you join him in a work. There's still work to be done because people are still hopeless. People are still needing somebody to give them the message of Jesus that he came, he conquered, he rose again, he's still alive, he's still reigning, he's still on the throne. Rome, and there is hope, and that name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. Let's worship together. Listen to me. Fear is not your future. It doesn't have to be your future. Hope can set you free. Jesus can set you free. Your sickness ain't your story. Your heartache is not your home. And so let's sing about the future we have, the hope of the future we have in Jesus. We'll sing, church. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. If it encouraged you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to stories at renovation.church. And if you'd like to partner with us financially and help us continue to reach people all over the world, you can do that by going to our website, renovation.church. Have a blessed day.